we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Hey, I want to say something to those that are online, first of all, because I know there's somebody right now who is watching this uh, in the middle of the week. Uh, it's late at night, uh, you woke up, and for some reason or other, you found us online, and you thought, gosh, I'm looking for a church home, I'm not sure where to go, and by accident, you found us, or maybe by invitation, and so you're kind of from afar, you're checking us out uh, in the middle of the week, and I want to say thank you. Uh, you're welcome here. You're welcome anytime, day or night, online to connect with us. Uh, we'd love to have you on site, but if you're far away and that's not possible, or maybe you live nearby and for whatever reason, that's not possible. We just want to say a special welcome to allow us to be with you through this miracle of technology that God is doing uh, in this place. And those that are in the house, so, so thank you for being here this morning. I'm really excited about this particular weekend and this message we're about to begin. Uh, if you're new, I would love to connect with you. I'll be out in the crossing for a few moments and uh, just love to exchange a greeting. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to find them. We're going to go in the book of James. As you walk in the worship, at the very back of your Bible, when you walk in, you can find a Bible. This is one of those series you may want to have the Bible in your hands. So when you walk in, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off that little shelf, use it, take it home with you uh, if you like. And I, I think this has to be one of my favorite books in the Bible because when you read it, you're going to discover that it's uniquely practical and very direct. Uh, when you read this little book called James, there's no misunderstanding what he's saying. There's not a, <laughs> it's not hard to interpret. I mean, he's just kind of in your face with it. And he really talks about what it is to be healthy in your life and how you live your life. And what you're going to discover here is that James, the author of this little book, he was the brother of Jesus. So not only did he hear Jesus teaching, he watched him grow up and practice those teachings. You know, there are some people that you see and you hear them talk about Jesus and you hear them teach and teach and teach. But it's one thing to do with their mouth. It's nothing to see it with their life. And so James had the opportunity to see Jesus not just talk about it, but actually do it. And so as you read this little book, this little five-chapter book of James, I think you're going to get a feel that James had a good handle on how to live a healthy life. Anybody here want to have a healthy life? Yeah, you want to be healthier. This book is really about how to be healthier in every aspect of your life. So here's where we're going. We cannot cover this thing verse by verse in six weeks, in this six-week series. So we're going to take a high-level overview, high-level look at, from a, you know, high-level book in chunks. And we're going to be asking, how do I questions? That's the title of this series, How Do I? How do I manage my mouth? <laughs> how do I manage dysfunctional relationships? How do I manage my pride or my ego? How do I manage? How do I get healing? How do I get hope when I feel hopeless? So we're going to be talking about all sorts of questions over these six weeks. And here's my hope. I am hoping that you will really buy into our life steps. Now, if you're new here, you know what a life step is. On our app, every single day, you will find a scripture and a question to reflect upon that scripture. Just kind of get you thinking a little bit deeper for application for your life. And then a short little prayer. 
But during this particular session of our Life Steps, we're going to invite you every day, besides your small verse, to read a chunk of the book of James. So that over the course of six weeks, you will have read the book of James six times. And we'll give you that instruction called the James Challenge. So every week you will read this book one time. And it's doable. It's a very short book. And here's the hope and idea. That when you find yourself in life asking a question, how do I? You'll have a go-to verse in the book of James that you'll go to. Because you come to know that book so well. Because it's very short and very easy to get to know. We're going to saturate ourselves in it. So you have that how do I when that moment comes. Okay, so that's kind of where we're headed. And uh, let's start with the word prayer. So, God, we're about to open up uh, your, your book, and we have learned, God, not to open it without some sense of caution and fear and trepidation, God, because there's the possibility when we open it and we read it that you will speak a fresh word. Not only, God, speak a fresh word, you'll give us some direction. Uh, you'll tell us some things to do. And not only that, God, you'll touch us some tender places in our lives that when you touch it, it kind of hurts. It can be kind of personal. But we ask by your Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday that you will do just that. So now, God, we open our minds and our hearts to receive whatever you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's our question uh, for this weekend. The question is, how do I get through what feels like ungetthroughable? How do I get through a situation a struggle, a challenge, a problem, some experience in my life, when I feel like, gosh, I don't even know that I can bear this. I don't even know how if I'll ever heal from it. I don't know if I'll ever forget it. I don't know if I'll ever get over it, much less how do I get through it when I don't feel like I can? That's the question. Back in January of 2011, I wrote in my journal Half Marathon 2011. Now, here's what you need to know about my journal. I sit down with my journal in January, and I set out goals for the year. And if I write it down in my journal, that's just almost a commitment to God that I'm going to make it happen. And I, after I wrote it down, I went, you idiot. You know, because now it's got to happen. And so that meant I had to start looking for a schedule for a time when that was going to come into place. And the only one I found I could do was in August. They called it the hottest half for a good reason. So I began to train and get ready for this run in August. So when the run came, my, my wife and my younger son, James, they take me and drop me off early. I want to be there early so I can meet some of the other people that are running, just kind of mingling. So I'm doing that. And I realized quickly that I'm in over my head. I met a guy who had run track in college, another guy who was a defensive, his run, run was over in Dallas, a defensive back for SMU who was in training. And I, I met another guy who had ran an ultra marathon the week before who was just doing this as a little training run. And so I'm thinking, I am athletically outmatched. I am in over my head. And somehow or another, I find myself up at the front of the pack, at the very front, with, at the starting line, in front where, where all the serious people go. Now, if you're a psychologist or you're a runner, you know the psychologists say there's only two kinds of runners. These are people who hate to run and people who, hate, who love to run and people who hate people who love to run, Right? And so I'm kind of neither one. I'm kind of stuck in between. So I find myself up front going, what am I doing here? I can see all these people are serious. And there was one particular guy that was really serious. And he was kind of talking himself up. He said, what do we do? We run. When do we quit? Never. 
over and over again. What do we do? We run. What do we, when do we quit? Never. He's pumping himself up, kind of like Rocky, right? He's pumping himself up. And I find myself getting pumped up and kind of, yeah, 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 that's what we do. And so the gun goes off, boom, and we start off. And for a few hundred yards, I'm leading the pack. I'm winning. I mean, I'm way out in front. And people are behind me. I go, what are y'all doing? It's like, I'm just trucking. And then all of a sudden, not too long, my legs started slowing down. I kind of got this pain in my side, kind of got a cramp. I'm going, oh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And pretty soon, I'm going so slow, children are passing me. <laughs> People in wheelchairs are passing me. People that are not even in the run, that are on the side of the sidewalk going for a snow cone for their family, they're passing me. And I get to a point, I almost at a dead stop. I mean, almost to a dead stop. And I start thinking, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why'd you write that down in your journal? You're not a runner. You're not fast. You have no endurance. What are you doing? You, you stupid person, you. You didn't train well. You're never going to finish. You're never going to make it. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to humiliate. All this stuff is going, all this stinking thing is going through my head. And then all of a sudden now I say, I'm not going to get through this. I'm just not going to get through it. And all of a sudden, I started here listening to the voices of that guy that was at the front of the, of the starting line with me. And he said, what do we do? We run. When do we quit? Never. What do we do? We run. When do we quit? Never. And the more I began to repeat that over and over again in my head, I began to get a little energy. And I went from standing still to walking to walking fast to eventually to trotting to jogging. And all of a sudden, I'm running. And I felt this surge of adrenaline. And all of a sudden, I got my legs back underneath me. And I got my wind. And I found a rhythm in my breathing. And all of a sudden, I'm trucking. And it was like adrenaline kicked in, and I hear they talk about a runner's high, one of the rare times in my life I've ever experienced anything like that in my life. And I'm just like I'm walking on top of the ground, and I'm just moving along. And pretty soon I get where I actually see the finish line. And the people that I met at the beginning of the race, they had already showered and rested. They were, all, they were there in their own lawn chair, and they're cheering me on. Come on, Rick, you can do it, our new friend. And my wife and son are there, they're cheering me on. And I get another burst of energy. Now, about this time, I had come up against a member of our church was running over in Dallas. His name is David Roderman. He's a part of this church, and he and I were kind of running together, and he could tell I had some energy, and I wanted to finish strong. He said, go ahead, Rick. And so I just kicked it into high gear, and I'm sprinting to the finish line, and I'm not going to be last in my age group. And I'm I tripped and fell against a guy and rolled and skipped my leg. And but like a ninja, like an elephant, I just rolled over finally and got up and struggled across. And I finished the race. It was amazing. It was amazing. How do you get through? When you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's unget throughable. I'm not talking about a race. I'm not talking about something you choose to do. And because of the choice you made, you find yourself in deeper than you really intended. I'm talking about a real-life moment when life happens. I'm talking about when you lose your job at the most inopportune time and you didn't see it coming and you say, unfair, unfair. I'm talking about a moment when someone in your life, a family member, someone close to you, a loved one, a spouse, a child, they turn their back on you and they're kind of communicating, I'm done with you. It's over. It's done. I'm talking about a moment when someone comes into your life, right? 
And they just dump and they throw everything on top of you and you didn't see that coming and you feel like, how can I handle that? How can I manage it all the way through? I'm talking about real life moments when a child dies. When you get a diagnosis and you know your lifestyle, it's not going to kill you, but your lifestyle has changed forever, and you got to forever live totally different if you want to live. What do you do? How do you get through something when it feels like it's ungetthroughable? What do you do? James has something to say about this, this question that's relevant to it all because it was relevant to the people to whom he was writing. He opens his chapter of James, first one like this. James, they put on the screen, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. I've got that word scattered circled in my Bible. First century Jews believed that the kingdom of God was coming when they were all united, when all of the 12 tribes were one, when the nation of Israel was restored to its power. But James is not writing to that kind of people. He is writing this letter to a group of people who were dispersed, who were scattered, a community who are asking, God, where are you in this? Because we can't see you because it seems like you're doing nothing. That's the kind of people he's writing the letter to. And to these people, in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I want to encourage you, that when you have a trial or suffering of some kind, to consider it joy, pure joy. Anybody here besides me have a problem with that statement on the surface? Well, you have a loved one in your family. They're going through a divorce. How, how would this fly? You walk up to them and say, hey, listen, man, I heard the great news. You're going through a divorce. Awesome. Hey, I heard you lost your job. Man, that is the best. Are you happy about that? That's, that's got to be great news. That's kind of what it looks like on the surface that he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying that at all. I want you to notice something else here in the text. It's very important, a little word here. In that same verse 2, I want you to notice he doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, when you face trials. There's no if. This is what he's saying. Hey, I want to prepare you. Pain's coming. Hardships are coming. Difficult days are coming. Just get ready. They're on the way. That's exactly, that's exactly what he's saying. And James understood that. He, he could deal with that in his own life. See, James was raised in a home where they had a hard time making ends meet. He was one of seven children, all this, the research shows. His mother was married. All the scholars believe that his dad died when he was young. He was raised in a home without a father. A mother just trying to scrap however to take care of her kids. On top of that, his brother, his name was Jesus. 
Can you imagine the number of times that he heard these words? Hey, James, why can't you be more like your brother? Can you imagine how irritating that would be as a kid to never be able to meet up to the standard of your brother? And it was into that situation that he says these words right here, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And the key little word right there of this whole book is that one little word right there is where it says consider. If you not have it circled in your Bible, circle that word consider. He said, I want you to, I want to give you some new thoughts. I want to teach you how to have a new framework to consider, to think differently in your mind about what you see. So when you see a trial, when you face a challenge, when you face something really hard, you might consider it pure joy. I want to change your stinking thinking. I want to teach you a little formula that my my dad taught me many years ago that it served me well in my growing up and all the days of my life. He learned it while he was in seminary, uh, lessons from a psychologist by the name of Albert Ellis. And here's how this works. And hopefully I can make this little thing work right here. A, here's the formula. A plus B equals C. And let me explain. This is all about the word consider, the word consider. A is an activating event. Something happens in your life. Whatever an experience, outside your control, a a struggle, and then you have a struggle, you got a challenge because of something, activating the event. B is what you believe about the event. It's your first thought that pops into your head when you experience that or when you see that. Letter C is the consequence. It's how you feel, and this impacts your behavior. So let me ask you, as you look at this right here, A plus B equals C. Activate an event because what you believe about it equals the outcome. Which one of these three things do you have the most control over? Letter B. You will have many things happen to you in your life that you have no control over. They'll just happen. The one thing you have control over is your mind, what you think when you first experience it. And how you think about it, how you consider it, how you consider it determines consequence, joy, behavior, all that sort of stuff. And two people can have the same A, the same experience, but because of their belief system, they have a totally different C or consequence. Let me kind of explain it this way. Let's say in 2023, the Cowboys accidentally luck out and they win the Super Bowl. (laughs) Now, if that happens, somebody just think about this. In in this church, who is one of the most rabid, rabid Cowboy fans in the whole church? That would be Chris Bohan. So let's kind of use Chris Bohan as an example. So the Cowboys, they win the Super Bowl. Now, what is, what is Chris believing? Let her be. Well, he's thinking, God is good. He's thinking, I'm living right. He's thinking, God is faithful. 
God is redeeming, all that sort of stuff. And if he's thinking that, what's he feeling? He's feeling joy. He's feeling hopeful. He's feeling like I can get up and go to work the next day. I'm not going to be depressed. Yay, 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 yay. All right? Now, let's consider Cowboys win the Super Bowl, somebody else in the life of your church. Same experience. His name is Kevin Bogarelli. Kevin Bogarelli, he is a seminary student. He is our online host. Many of you online, you connect with him often. Uh, he plays guitar every once in a while, but it also happens he came from Philadelphia. He is a Philadelphia fan fanatic. So when he sees the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, what is he thinking? He's thinking, God doesn't care. God's not engaged. God doesn't listen to my prayers. You know, I must have sinned somewhere for the Cowboys. When, what's going to be the consequences? He's going to quit seminary. He's going to give up on ministry. He's going to quit the church. He's going to be all mad and discouraged and despondent and upstairs. How are we going to respond? Are we going to give him grace and encourage him? We're going to let him go. We're going to let him go if he's going to act that way. I mean, you've got to celebrate and be happy if the Cowboys win. You can't act that way. Do you see the example? Is that in the considerate, consider, just considerate, considerate pure joy, considerate the possibility that when you experience trials of many kinds. Now, is it, is it saying? Is it saying, well, then I, I got to enjoy my trials. I got to look for trials. I got to want suffering. Does it mean? No, it's not meaning that at all. Does it mean that God wants me to suffer? Does it mean this the Bible teaches and James is saying that God wants me to suffer and to deal with hard things? No, the Bible doesn't say that. Hey, does this mean that God causes these things to happen? Does this mean that God wills for that little baby to die? Does that mean that God sent in that shooter into Uvalde? You paint the picture. Does it mean that God causes that drunk to hit head on and to take away that loved one? Is that what it means? It doesn't mean that at all. God does not function in that way. But here's what James is saying. He is saying you can be in the midst of the worst trial and struggle in your life, and it's possible while you're feeling the bad to still know a joy. And the joy comes when you consider, think a new way of thinking about what you see. And that's what I want to do for you. I want to very quickly give you four things that you can hang on to to help you have a new lens, a new framework, how to think about it when you find yourself going through something, a trial. And here's the first one right here in your notes. Trials, first of all, reveal my true character. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind because they're going to reveal your character. That little word right there of trial, that little word, word trial there uh, in the that Greek word trial, parismos, parismos, literally means an agitation, an adversity that reveals your character. That's literally what it means, a trial. Some adversity that reveals who you are in here. And it happens all the time. And you and I so many times are oblivious to it, right? We learn so much about ourselves if you're paying attention. You're driving in traffic. It just happens naturally, right? You're driving in traffic. Most of the time, you're a pretty cool, calm, and collected person. But on this particular day, you're not. 
and somebody does something and something happens and you find yourself, nobody else in the car, saying things out of your mouth that you would never say face-to-face to anybody and you would hope nobody else would hear. But all of a sudden, this stuff is coming out of your mouth and if you stop and pay attention, you realize that you have a character issue and that you have an anger issue or you have a control issue that when things don't go the way you want, you erupt. Or maybe you're at a job and you got passed over for the promotion and somebody else gets it. Or maybe you're a student in a classroom and you don't get the grade that you think you deserve. And your very first reaction is to blame the boss or to blame the teacher. First, blame, blame, because you have a victim mentality in your character. You have a victim mentality that you couldn't have done something wrong, that somebody else had to get it wrong. And you quickly blame them for what you're going through and where you are. Maybe someone says something to you, right? They say something in a relationship. They say something kind of hard. They say something kind of direct. They speak the truth. And they kind of do it in love. But you, when they speak the truth to you, you cower. You get really quiet and you go. And if you pay attention, you're learning something about yourself. That you're a people pleaser. And that unless everybody's happy and just talking like this, you think you're not done something wrong because you have a low self-image and a low self Church, it's just something that happens naturally. Your character is first of all revealed when you find yourself in an uncomfortable, unpleasant trial sort of situation. And I know this is true because it happens to me all the time and I hate it. But it's also something to learn from. It just so happens, maybe for you, maybe for you, you find yourself in a situation and all of a sudden you you know, conflict and you find, you know what, I'm really an angry person. Or maybe you find yourself, somebody else having a whole lot of other stuff and you feel, you know, I'm really a selfish, greedy person. I envy other people. I'm jealous of other people because they have that and they have that. And if you're honest about it, you find that there's a flaw in your character somewhere in there because of that. And, and I could go on and on and I won't. And on. I am not a humble person. I'm a prideful person. I got a big ego. That if you will stop and evaluate, you can consider it pure joy that God is going to reveal something in you that needs God's handiwork, that you can confess it and name it to God to allow him to transform you. Do not move, miss the moment. Consider pure joy. See, you think the trials and the problems in your life are what's happened on the outside. You think your spouse is the problem. You think your kid is the problem. You think your boss is the problem. You think the health issue that happened to you is the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is your unforgiving spirit. The problem is your lack of humility. The problem is your lack of ability to reconcile and to connect in love with that other person. Is something happened on the inside of you. That's where the real problem is. See, the biggest challenge in your life is not what happens out here. The biggest challenge in trial is what happens in here. This is where the trial is, in your heart, in your character, in your spirit. That's where it is. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials from any kind, it's an opportunity for you to learn about your character in a place where there's a flaw to submit it and surrender it to God that he can do something about it. Here's the second thing. Trials can make me stronger. 
James is saying, consider it pure joy when you're going through a trial. Going on there in the verse 2. Because you know that the testing of your faith, the purifying of your faith, the pushing of your faith produces something. And what it produces is perseverance. In other words, when you go through a trial, when you come out of it, you gain something that you didn't have when you went in. And what you get is perseverance and you get stronger. Now, this is very important on many levels. First of all, because many of us in this room, most of us online in this room, we have a very low pain threshold. Particularly in the United States of America, we are a weak people that our pain threshold is so low that we just have a little bit of pain and a little discomfort and we just react all over the place because we just can't handle it. That's first issue. First issue why this is so important is that so many of us we just doubt the existence of God if you go into your grocery store and they don't have your salsa. I mean, you, I cannot believe that because I deserve to have it right now. I mean, I want what I want, when I want it, as I want it. The whole world revolves around my needs, and if my needs are met right now, boom, we go, I, how dare you? I had to walk. I could not walk through the checkout line by myself. I had to stand in this long line right here to wait for a cashier. How awful is that? But that's how we are. I don't know if it's because we live in the richest nation on the face of the earth and we have all these resources at our instant disposal. I don't know if it's the Amazon effect of same-day delivery, and if you can't have it today, you go, I can't believe that. That's just, that's just preposterous. I don't know if it's because that we all just really feel we all blame the millennials. <laughs> Church, we're all millennials in the idea that we all feel entitled. Get over blaming the millennials for all the problems. Get over it. Get over it. We all feel entitled. It's the sin effect of I'll eat that apple anytime I want to. And the interesting word it says that when you're in this situation, what you get is you get stronger, and that word is perseverance. Perseverance doesn't mean that I got things under control. Perseverance doesn't mean I'm keeping in charge of everything. But literally, the word perseverance has two words that it means. It means remain under Perseverance means I remain under the weight. I remain under the pressure. I'm under it. It's a picture of faith that when things are hard and I'm feeling the weight, I stay under it. And I just, I don't quit. I stay under it. And it's when I'm under it that I grow and I get stronger. And you don't even see it. I had a good friend of mine who was really having a hard time in his family, struggling with his kids particularly. His relationship with his children, it really wasn't good. And he figured out it was because of him. He just wasn't the dad he needed to be. So he got it right. He started doing everything right. For years, he did everything right. In worship, all, uh, engaged in the life of the church. But one day, he turned to me and he says this. He says, Rick, when I found out that I was a failure as a dad, I started doing everything right. But what do I have to show about it? Because his kids never came around. Anybody here ever had that statement? God, I've been doing everything right, but what do I have to show for it? I've been coming to worship. I've been tithing. I've been serving. 
I'm in a small group. I read my Bible every morning. I'm doing all of this right, but what do I have to show for it? I still have this stuff. And the sad thing about it, he could not see what God had been doing. He had been growing in this perseverance all along, but he couldn't see it. He was so heartbroken. He was so hurt. He couldn't see it. He was growing in humility. He was growing as a dad. He was growing in commitment as a husband. He was more attentive. He was more patient. He listened more than he spoke. He was growing in ways that he could not even imagine. But he kind of raised his fist at God and said, God, if you do not change my circumstances, I don't believe you even care. Church, please hear this. God cares more about your character than your circumstances. God cares more about your character than your circumstances. And when you stay in the thick of it, when you stay in the heart of it, when you stay in it when it's hard, he is doing a work of perseverance in you and making you stronger like you can never imagine. And if I was to come to you and ask you, can you tell me, look back in your life, and can you give me an experience where you got stronger? You will not tell me when you had an achievement. You will not tell me when someone gave you a reward. You will tell me of a time where it was hard, when it was challenging, and in that you grew. Brooks puts it this way. I love this little quote right here. Can you put this quote up here? When most people think about the future, they dream up ways they might live happier lives. But when people think about the crucial events that form them, they don't usually talk about happiness. It's usually the ordeals that seem most significant. Most people shoot for happy, but they feel formed through the suffering. Shoot for happy. Go for happy. But just know... It's in the hard stuff where you get stronger and your character is shaped and your character is formed. When I was 20 years of age, I was asked as a youth pastor to go visit people in the hospital. I was no more equipped to go visit people in the hospital than anybody in the man of the moon, but they asked me to do that. And that sets me up to this critical third point I want you to get right here. And then I'm going to tell you this story. Trials help me get closer to Jesus. That's the third thing. Trials help me get closer to Jesus. I'll never forget this. I walk into the hospital. And uh, they had these dogs there that go into people's rooms to make, help make them happy. And the dogs go in, they just leave their happy. You know, you've seen that, right? I remember that vividly. And I walk into the room, and the people didn't get happy. In fact, the dogs would kind of look at me and growl and pee on me, like, what are you doing here? You don't even know. You, you make people mit Because I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, the dogs, the dogs can see right through me. And so I walk into this room with this 25-year-old kid in our church. I'm 20. He's 25. He's got brain cancer. They asked me to go visit him. I walk into his room, and I just stand there. He's sitting on the bed, 25, inoperable brain cancer. His wife is sitting next to him, holding their new baby. And I walk into the room, and I just stand there. We start talking about sports kind of awkwardly, because that's what guys do when you don't know how to talk about anything. You just talk, hey, how about those Rangers? How about, how about that? So we start talking. All that conversation kind of goes away. And I walk over to the bed, and I sit next to him. And I think, if you don't know what to say, you pray. 
So I'm going to pray. And before I could pray, he grabbed my hand and squeezed it like a vice grip. And tears coming down his eyes, he said, God is so good. I said, dude, you got brain cancer. You're not going to live. You got a new wife. You got a new baby. Where did you learn this? In the suffering. In the trial. In the treatment. In the diagnosis. In the middle of this. See your trials again. Trials help me get closer to Jesus. Jesus is anywhere. I promise you. He is not absent in the middle when you can't see him. And when you can't feel him. He is right in smack in the middle of what you're going through and God is going to use that trial not to hurt you not to harm you but to bring you closer to the one who can save you and redeem you and shape you and conform you it will bring you closer to Jesus consider pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kinds you will never get a satisfactory answer of why 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 in Uvalde, this one child right here live and this child die? Why? Why does a 25-year-old young man get brain cancer and my dad lives in 92? Why? Why does a kid get run over with a drunk driver and this person who's irresponsible, nothing happens? Why? You will never get a satisfactory answer. But the answer that you do know, that right in the middle of it, you will meet Jesus because he is there in the middle of it with you. And here's the final thing that I would give you. Trials for you to consider. Trials don't have to have the last word. See, because of Jesus, your trial, your challenge, your problem, it doesn't have to have the last word. Listen to the reframing. Listen to the whole thing. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Listen to all of it together. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith Produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish. Finish. Hear that word, finish. Say it with me, finish. Let it what? Finish its work. So that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Look how Jesus forms it. Look how James forms this picture. Look what he doesn't say, first of all. He doesn't say, one day your marriage will be perfect. He didn't say one day your job will be perfect, your kids will be perfect. He didn't say one day your finances will be perfect and you'll be set for life or retirement. Here's what he says in the text. It's right here. He says, you will be perfect. You will be complete. You will be mature. You will not lack anything. Because what's going on here in your trial is deeper than what's on the surface. What's going on in your trial is you. It's your soul, it's your character, it's your eternity, it is you. God cares about the stuff that goes with you into heaven, not your circumstances. Your circumstances don't go with you into heaven. You, who you are, goes into heaven. And he says, I'm going to have the last word. The pain in your marriage you're facing right now will not be the last word. The pain and the disconnect with your children or your grandchildren, it will not be the last word. 
The stock market going up and down, up and down, and gas prices going up and up and up will not be the last word in your future and your financial life. That cancer, that MS, that diabetes, that arthritis, that depression, it will not have the last word. How do I know? His name is Jesus. Because he suffered on a cross for crimes he never committed. He was perfect in every way. And they killed him anyway. He could have come down, but he didn't. He lived a sinless life, but they killed him like he was the worst of sinners. He died. And when he died, the last words out of his mouth were, it is finished. They took him off the cross. He had no penny, nothing to his pocket. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. He was as poor as the poor of the poor. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and the tomb was empty. And he defeated sin, and he conquered death for you. For you. And you can call on him and ask him to help you in any trial you're in right now. And I don't know when, I don't know when, I don't know how. He will answer your prayer and your pain and your suffering and the stuff you're going through. It will not have the last word. The Hebrews writer puts it this way. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. For the joy he suffered, for the joy he died, for your suffering he died, for the joy of you, for the joy of you, for the joy of you, and for the joy of you, that you might be with him in eternity. For the joy of you he did it, he endured, he persevered. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our race on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the very next word in verse 3 is consider Jesus. Here's my promise to you. He was with you at the beginning. He'll be with you at the end of your race. And he is with you right now in the middle of whatever you're going through. And he is saying these words right now to you. Listen, these words. What do we do? We run. When do we quit? Never. Never. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning carrying many heavy burdens. The burdens of this world, the burdens of Ukraine, the burdens of Buffalo, New York, the burdens of Uvalde and all around us, the burdens of Tulsa. We come before you, God, carrying the weight and the burdens of our own life, of our own family tree, of our own dysfunction, 
of our own marriages, of our own relationship with our kids and our grandkids, our own jobs. And God, these challenges, these trials are so testing every day. They stretch us. They reveal us. And God, we also acknowledge they hurt us. And sometimes, God, it hurts so bad and we get so weak and tired that we don't feel like we can get through it. We just don't think we can get through it, God. So we come before you as a broken, tired, weary people with our hands and hearts open, asking for your help, asking for your strength, asking for your grace, asking for your mercy, asking you would increase our faith. And God, I pray that for everyone who can hear my voice online or in the house, that you would enter into their pain, you would enter into their fear, you would enter into their trial, God, into their frustration, and remind them that you are right there in the middle of it. May they find Jesus, God, in the middle of it. And may they see you working for the good in their life, making them stronger, helping them persevere, God, even helping them get honest about the places in their life where they fall short, their character, God, that needs to be surrendered to you and to the power of your Holy Spirit to change them, God, and help them, God, remember that our trials don't have the last word. That through the cross and the empty tomb, the last word has already been spoken. We are victors in Jesus Christ now and forever. So give us strength to keep on running. Give us strength to keep on living. Keep us strength give us to keep on plowing through God and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death, and we thank you for the resurrection and for the joy set before him. He endured it all for us. In his name we pray, and we run. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.